Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is my examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I review one episode of Rod Serling's iconic series as a first-time viewer and round out the show with a uh, bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's main topic. But with season four of Black Mirror recently premiering on Netflix, I'm covering each episode of the latest season of Charlie Brooker's technophobic anthology sci-fi series in this bonus episode review series. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com, and for a full episode archive, including my bonus reviews of uh, Black Mirror's first three seasons, go to AnthologyPod.com slash archive. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod, tweet me at OVAnthologyPod, or send an email to Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com. And if you like what you hear and you want to help support the podcast, the easiest way to do that would be to head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for my show to stand out in the crowd of different podcasts uh, in the film and television genre. And finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or by visiting patreon.com slash obsessive viewer to set up recurring donations. Any and all donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and are greatly appreciated. So today on the podcast, I'll be discussing USS Callister, which is the first episode of Black Mirror's fourth season that premiered on December 29th, 2017 on Netflix after a very long, um, uh, this was about 14 months since our last, uh, since the season three of Black Mirror premiered. So it's, it's been quite a bit of a, uh, a wait for us, but it finally released. And as normal, I will be spoiling the episode on this, in this episode, uh, in this podcast. So if you haven't seen USS Callister yet, go back, check it out, and then come back and listen to it. Otherwise, you have been warned. So, uh, as far as a plot summary for USS Callister, I'm just going to read the IMDb plot summary, and that is as follows. A woman wakes up on a Star Trek-esque ship where the crew praise their all-knowing and fearless captain. And that's all for the IMDb summary, which I really like that because that's very broad and, and doesn't give any any real like spoilers or anything like that. I, I appreciate that for sure. Um, starring in this episode as Robert Daly is Jesse Plemons, who is perhaps best known for his work as Landry Clark in Friday Night Lights and as Todd in Breaking Bad. He was also recently in season two of Fargo and he has a ton of, I think Breaking Bad kind of, uh, uh, kind of exploded his career a little bit. Cause he has a ton of, uh, of movie roles and everything like, uh, uh, the master and, 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 oh, what is the, oh, what was that one with Johnny Depp? Crap. The black mass. Uh, yeah, which wasn't that great, but anyway, uh, co-starring as Nanette Cole is Kristen, uh, Miliotti, who was also in season two of Fargo. I know her best as the, uh, in the final season of how I met your mother, um, which she was incredibly charming in, in that show. And then she was also in Mike Birbiglia's, uh, directorial debut, uh, Sleepwalk With Me, which is a phenomenal movie. I highly recommend checking that out. And then rounding out the cast for this episode is Jimmy Simpson as Walton. And he, of course, has recurring, has, <laughs> has, a recurring role in It's Always Sunny as Liam McPoyle. And he was also more recently in, uh, Westworld as William. And he was also, he also appeared in several episodes of, um, House of Cards. Uh, he's a really great, like, he's, he's really awesome. Like, anytime I see him, he's, he really does, he brings a lot to each performance that I've seen, that I see him in, whether it's a disgusting character like Liam McPoyle or this kind of uh, timid, I guess, guy in Westworld. Like, he, he really brings it. Um, he has a lot of talent that, that he brings to every role he, I've seen him in. Uh, writers for this episode were Charlie Brooker and William Bridges. Uh, William Bridges previously co-wrote the episode Shut Up and Dance from last season of Black Mirror. And director for this episode was Toby Haynes. And this was his first episode of Black Mirror that he's directed. And he has also directed five episodes of Doctor Who. Um, he has gone on record as saying that he feels that, um, that USS Callister is the perfect uh, space space uh, opera 
TV show pilot, and he said that he would he would definitely be on board with doing a spinoff series based on the on the adventures of the USS Callister, which I'll get to that at the end of my review, but I am all for that because this would be, this would make a really interesting sci-fi series in its own right. So, uh, heading into my review, I'm going to just mention a few of the Easter eggs that I picked up. Um, and this first one isn't necessarily an Easter egg per se, but the, uh, ticker technology from San Junipero, which is, I say ticker because for the last year I've, I've referred to it as ticker, um, because it's TCKR. But apparently, judging from its, its recurrence in Black Museum later this season, apparently it's correctly pronounced as TCKR. But anyway, that's, I'll get to that in a few episodes. But, um, that technology from San Junipero is kind of at the forefront of this episode. It's essentially the exact same technology that transports the elderly into San Junipero, only it's used for um, multi uh, uh, an MMO RPG space game. And then when Daly uh, takes his chocolate milk, which uh, it. I'll talk about that later, but when he gets the chocolate milk out of the fridge, the brand of the milk is Raymond milk, which uh, has to be a reference to the character of Raymond in uh, Men Against Fire from last season. And then also just the uh, the idea of uh, creating a digital copy of a of a person using their DNA in this computer simulation thing is is pretty much the exact same technology of of uh the eggs in white christmas okay and then also a couple cameos in this episode um first of all kirsten dunst who is uh engaged to jesse plemons in real life and also uh was in season two of fargo as well um she makes a very brief cameo i haven't been able to spot it i've just read about it online that it's kind of she's in the background of one of the scenes i think it's one of the office scenes and the story of that cameos that she was on set with with Jesse Plemons and then she was just like hey I kind of want to can I can I jump in and uh I guess the director's like yeah sure just jump into the scene and and we'll uh get you in the show so that's how that cameo came came about and again I can't I don't I haven't caught it the couple times I've seen this episode but it's there I assure you and then finally, at the end of the episode is Aaron Paul's voice cameo, which uh, I I got a huge kick out of. Um, definitely, definitely great. I'll talk about that at the end of the review. But uh, those are some of the Easter eggs and stuff that I found. Um, I'm sure that there might be more that I may miss, but I don't know. But anyway, to go into my actual review, um, right from the outset, I really loved what this what this episode did at the beginning of it. Uh, the opening scene of the entire episode is this throwback um, Star Trek, the original series type of sequence that it shows the bridge of the USS Callister and has all of our main characters there, and they're basically going through a a scenario that's straight out of Star Trek, the original series. And, uh, it's, it was a delight to see that because it's not so much that they, that they did that, but they actually went to the effort of like, uh, of like making the film like grained a little bit. So it looks like it's just a VHS copy. And I thought for, I thought for a while that Jesse Plemons's character was going to be like, like this was his like starring role and that he's like the intent of the episode would be that he was, reliving his glory days but obviously that came uh that got disputed pretty quickly but right from the outset in this sequence i love jesse plemons's uh kind of shatner-esque impression um he does this very kind of theatrical quality to his to his lines that shatner kind of really did over the top in the original series um in a good way. Like it, it was like, I love Star Trek, the original series, but it's very much like Jesse Plemons is definitely emulating Shatner's kind of cadence and, and his demeanor in, in the scene. And I really, it really brought me into the episode really quickly. And, um, something I love, and this is something that I love about black mirror. Like I did the same, this, I experienced this same thing in like shut up and dance last year, but, um, the celebration of daily at the end of it is from the, 
when you first see it without knowing the context of it, of what they're doing and everything, it's, it's funny. Like it's, it's played for laughs. It's, uh, it's kind of silly. It's, it's kind of embracing the cheesiness of the homage of the Star Trek original series, um, homage that they're going for. And it's hilarious. It's humorous. Like daily kissing all the women is, is kind of funny and, and, uh, um, weird and out of place. But then when you know the context of, yeah, he's this, he's this godlike person in the simulation where he's trapped these people there and they're forced to basically, um, play along with this warped game about this old ass TV show. It's really, really eerie when you go back and watch it. Cause like the celebration is just super, just creepy. And then the kissing is unbelievably eerie and gross. Um, it's just, it's, I love that Black Mirror is a show that you can kind of, that can kind of turn your, um, turn your perspective on it on its head when you revisit it. Um, so after that, we get Daly walking into the office and it's, it's immediately known that, shown that it's the TCKR technology from San Junipero and that kind of pieces it together, um, for you pretty quickly. And I'm going to take this moment to kind of, I don't know. So I've watched the entire season of, of this season of Black Mirror. And what I've noticed, and while, while Black Mirror is one of my favorite shows, bar none, this is, this is a really great show. I'm really very much a fan of it. It kind of bugs me a little bit. Like it seems like at a certain point, Black Mirror just decided to expand the technology that it already has in it. Um, I don't know if it's a conscious effort to try to make the entire series be like one one cohesive timeline um which i think black museum would would be a pretty strong indicator of that but it seems like like okay so season 1 we had this introduction of the um hot shots and and in this world that um that Abby Khan and um oh, what was his name in the in the in the episode in 15 million merits um, we have, we had this concept of this dystopian society where, where people have to just cycle just to power the, power the world and everything. And that, that's intriguing and everything. And then we get immediately from that, we get, um, uh, the concept of replaying your memories and, and, and having a, having a visual record of, of every interaction that you have. And then you get the whole idea of, um, artificial intelligence in and androids and, and replicated people. Like these are all very different ideas and everything. And then it seems like somewhere along the line, like I, I would say starting in season three, it kind of seemed like they were just kind of revisiting the same thing. Like men against fire had the same type of, um, technology as, uh, not be right back, but I'm blanking on the episode title. Uh, the entire history of you, like that type of technology. And then it, it doesn't really seem like it's really gone that far away from that kind of thing. And USS Callister is kind of the same way. Cause like I said, it's the pretty much the exact same technology as the San Junipero thing. And it also borrows the, uh, cookies. Did I say eggs? I did say egg. Yeah. It, they were cookies, not eggs. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, the cookie technology from white Christmas and it just seems like I kind of wish that the show would expand more in the in the technology thing and not concern itself with with trying to tie everything together as it seems like they're trying to, if only for the um, benefit of, you know, Internet theories and everything. Um, so that's one that's one kind of minor quibble that I have with the show in this new incarnation of it, starting when it, when it joined Netflix in season three. But I'm sure I'll, I'll talk about that in more detail when I get to black Chris or uh, black museum. Um, so yeah, so Daisy, uh, Daly's walkthrough of the office. Um, it really seems to really accentuate his antisocial disorder, if you will. Like there's this very clear disconnect that he interacts with these people or these digital copies of these people every single night and they, they praise him as a God. And then the stark difference of that is he goes to the office and you know, they don't really give him a second glance or anything or 
pay any attention to him. And that's something that um, he deserves, really. He's, I mean, he's a freaking monster, but um, it's it really highlights the difference between the two um, the two worlds that he exists in, and it really shows that, that he has some type of he must have some type of antisocial disorder or some kind of mental illness that's kind of pro- uh, propelling him to behave in this manner, essentially. And we, then we get, when he gets to the office, we get our introduction to Nanette Cole, played by Kristen Milioti. And first of all, she was so freaking charming in How I Met Your Mother that I really don't think I she can ever not be charming to me. Um, like, she is just a very charming presence and in this episode she's fangirling out to uh daily and like it's coming from a place of pure admiration for the code that he's developed for infinity and then she's kind of she's kind of this i don't know she's just she's just very charming and when she starts uh, looking at the space fleet stuff like this scene where she is like she sees like the space fleet everything, the VHS, the DVDs and the posters and everything like that scene should be just an exposition dump. It should be, um, daily just explaining to her like, Oh, this is a show and, and everything that's to signal to the audience that, Oh, that's why his, he has a mod at home that is patterned after his favorite TV show. But there's an energy to it that Kristen Milioti brings to it that she's very interested in it. Um, and she just has this excited energy to her, to her that it doesn't feel like an exposition ju- exposition dump. It just feels like genuine conversation between these two characters that uh, that aren't that isn't being included in the episode out of necessity, but more out of characterization than than exposition. And I kind of really appreciate the writing for that uh, for that sequence here. And also, just as a lover of movies and TV, I just love that. Daily has his fandom on full display in his office. Um, I work from home and I really need to get some like posters or something, um, to, to hang on my wall in my room or in my office. If, if you, if you, uh, want to call it that. So, um, then we get Jimmy Simpson jumping in. And, uh, first of all, I honestly, I, I really think that Jimmy Simpson is the standout of this episode. Um, he has this subtlety to him that he has this, uh, I don't like he has, he's, he's great. First of all, he's a phenomenal actor and he has this kind of subtlety to his crappiness toward daily. Like when he introduces himself to Nanette, he's just like, I'm James Walton. I run the company. Well, we run the company kind of like he just throws in that kind of, and it's just like a little bit of a dagger. It's like, cause he doesn't think he doesn't think of daily <laughs> like, like, Daily is not on his radar that much. And it's just, it's just really, really fun. And you can tell that he is as, uh, uh, I think it was Shayna, her character's name, as she, um, points out <laughs> later to Nanette, like he is clearly like a, um, a bit of a Lothario, I guess. And it's just, he's, his Jimmy Simpson's performance in this is, is fantastic. I'll talk more about that when we get back into the space fleet, uh, mod of infinity when, when they go into that scene. But I just, I really like that. And also I kind of feel like this episode is, is kind of a good companion piece to last season's, uh, play test. Um, the tone is completely different, of course, but the idea of immersive gaming experiences, um, they're all obviously present in both episodes and it kind of seems like they're, uh, they play with some of the same, I guess, themes to an extent, um, with that. Uh, so I just, I just think that that's interesting. Same as like, like hang the DJ, this season's, uh, episode seems, uh, seems to be a good companion piece to like San Junipero. It kind of seems like, I don't know if it was a conscious effort for them to make episodes that kind of mirror, uh, last season's episodes, but there are at least two that, that kind of stick out. And so after the day is ended and uh, after Daly goes home, um, he uh, earlier he had uh, he had kind of kept an eye on uh, Walton and Nanette and he could kind of tell like Walton is kind of making a move on her a little bit to an extent. And it's just really interesting for the characterization of Daly to see him go go after Walton when he goes back into the game 
and he's like taking out his aggressions on his aggressions about his crap day that he had on the crew of the game. And it's just, man, it's, it's kind of rough. Cause like in the scene in the office with, with Walton, uh, Walton tells him to make sure that the patch is, is ready to go and everything. And, uh, Daly says something to the effect of, well, I'll, I'll talk to, uh, the guy. And then, Walton just kind of snaps at him. He's like, no, you don't talk to him. You tell, or you don't ask him, tell him, um, because you're the boss and everything. Like you tell him to do it the way that I'm telling you to do it. And he's very angry about it. And then in the game, that's, you know, daily goes right after Walton. And he like, he actually says that line to him. It's like, I'm not, I'm not asking, I'm telling you. And it's just, it's so, it's so kind of eerie a little bit. He also has, um, has the intern get him, coffee as well and it's just it's fascinating to me because he is this antisocial guy in real life but he is this horrible godlike dictator in the game and it makes me wonder if if his antisocial behavior is because he is a god in the game or is he just a complete psychopath like what i mean by that is does he and not interact with other people in the real world because he has such an immersive um, experience every night in his little develop developer mod for Infinity that has his favorite show and everything. Is he so sucked into the game that that makes him antisocial in real life and and not interact with people in real life, or is he has he always been like that? Um. And then the game just lets him have this uh, outlet for his psychotic tendencies or or his more sociopathic uh, tendencies or or what have you. Like that's I'm I'm inclined to think that it might be, you know, it might be kind of a mixture of both. Um, But I kind of like the idea that he's that he's become this antisocial kind of monster or amoral person, I should say, in the real world because he is so wrapped up in the game that he's created for himself. And it's interesting, like, the next day at the office, um, Nanette offers daily coffee. It's a nice gesture, like, she's she's new there, and she has this admiration for him. And it's, like, that could have, like, it shows that they could have had, like, a nice working relationship from from what it's uh saw or from what it from what it seemed um but then the coworkers kind of bring her into the culture of the office like when she's talking to Shayna in the uh, at the coffee machine which by the way that actress Michaela Cole um she was previously in Nosedive as the uh, counter um agent at the airport and like there's something about her her performance, I just, I just love her energy in it. Like there's something to the way that she speaks in the scene with the coffee that I can't quite pinpoint it, but there's such an energy to it that it's, it's just fun. Like she's talking about how like, like she's giving, she's showing Nanette the ropes, but it's not like a, like, it's not like a cautionary thing. It's just like this casual, like, Oh, Hey, yeah, by the way, he's, he's, you know, um, he's kind of, he can kind of stare at people a little bit and it's kind of creepy. And, uh, and like the line where she says that, um, when she's talking about Walton and she says, uh, if you, if you chuck a ham sandwich across the floor or across the room, he'll, he'll try to, he'll try to fuck it before it hits the ground. (laughs) Like that was, that's just, it's, I love that line. That was hilarious. But, um, yeah, so I really love her performance in this episode and her energy that she brings to her delivery and everything. But in that scene where she's talking to, to Nanette about the kind of everything, uh, the culture of the office, it's kind of not necessarily sad. I would, I wouldn't say, but it's kind of like, it's kind of a shame because, you know, it seems like they could have had a good working relationship with her and Daly, but she's kind of brought into the culture of the, of the office and everything. Which, I mean, hey, it's kind of a bed that Daly made for himself. So it's not like it's anything too tragic or anything, but it's definitely interesting to see that they have this kind of culture, uh, this kind of office culture dynamic on display here. It seems very authentic to an office environment. Um, yeah. Then Daly kind of keeps staring at her in a really creepy way and t- takes notice of the coffee cup. And, 
when she was about to leave and when Daly got up to go for the coffee cup and he got the gloves and everything, I really thought for a second that he was going to abduct her and it was going to turn into an even darker kind of dynamic and everything. But, um, that's obviously not the, not what happened. And it's just, it's just, just the thought of someone going after your DNA for these purposes is really, really creepy and really just, oh, it's like, Jesse Plemons does such a great job of doing this creepy, like, like, uh, creepy antisocial psychotic kind of thing where you can tell, like, he, it's not necessarily that he's delusional enough to think that what he's doing is right or anything, but he's just doing it because he doesn't care about the feelings of other people. And his kind of giddiness with waiting for the, um, for the upload to complete for Nanette to be in the game is, is kind of, kind of funny in an eerie kind of way. But when she actually does get uploaded into the game and we get some good sequences of her walking through the Callister, which the visual effects of this episode are really impressive. And it's funny cause it's like, like kind of throwing around their Netflix money to, to make a really gorgeous looking episode that's also feature length also it's an hour and 16 minutes so it's just about feature length um but just the shots from within the uss callister when when nanette is walking through the corridors and everything like you they're filming it in such a way that it's it's showing that they're in space like like having a lot of use of dutch angles and kind of just moving the camera along with her to kind of um give the impression of movement through space. It's, it's really, really remarkable and really well done. Um, a really, uh, good aesthetic to, to strike with those sequences, um, in the ship. And what I, so one of the elements I really like about this is, is, is that it's not like she's just transported into a TV show. Um, she's transported into this place where her coworkers are prisoners to this man's just, God complex. And what I love about it is that they have conversations outside of the game, like that are talking in detail about, about what they're doing and, and what it is. Like it's very frank conversations. And once Nanette goes onto the bridge for the first time, Walton says just kind of casually, uh, he just says, looks like there's another girl in the office. And I love that line because it says so much about daily and about what Walton knows about daily. Because Walton and Daly developed Infinity together and they worked closely together. So Walton obviously knows a lot more about Daly's personality and everything. So it's just really interesting to see him like immediately just say like, oh, it looks like there's another girl in the office because he knows exactly how Daly operates and what his what he would be, what he's like in the real world. And it's so it's so eerie, but it says so much about a Daly as a character. And Again, I just love the way that Jimmy Simpson plays Walton in this episode. He's kind of this, like later on we get his backstory and how it's kind of a tragic, he's kind of a tragic character and he's kind of, uh, the the story of how Daly got him to comply and everything is very just messed up beyond all recognition. But at this point, he's been in the game for an uh a certain amount of time. It's never really stated. It's kind of, you can kind of presume that it would be like maybe multiple years in the game. But Walton, the way that Jimmy Simpson plays it is that he's kind of this character that's just kind of resigned to his fate and the fate of everyone else. And there's no kind of fighting back on it or anything. And his kind of way of coping is through humor. Like he has this kind of humor uh, uh, humorous kind of way of way about him that I really connected with and appreciated in the character. And so there were a couple things in this episode that, um, that I just kind of didn't cringe at, but like some of the comedy didn't really like, I mean, really, it's not fair to say like some of the comedy didn't work for me, but mostly just like a couple of the lines didn't really work for me. Like in particular, when daily goes into the game and, and, Nanette is having trouble adjusting for adjust, adjusting to it, obviously. Like she's saying that she's not going to play his game and everything. Um, and then Daly raises his hand at her right before he masks her face. Um, 
she she says something she says what are you gonna throw a fireball like i don't know something about that line just bothers me for some reason like the comedy of it or the the uh i guess comedy of it or just didn't really land for me it felt kind of out of place but daly's method of getting nanette in line is so freaking disturbing like the fact that he just like he just masks her face and so that she's suffocating but she can never die like the thought of that is just freaking horrifying like that is just so disturbing to me and uh yeah it's just uh it's it's so it's so unsettling um so anyway so they go on to their away mission on the planet to go after the the guy from the office that's that's kind of the big bad of the of the little game that Daly's playing. And at this point, I'm obviously seeing some similar similarities to some other works like Galaxy Quest, obviously is the big one that it feels kind of similar in tone to Galaxy Quest. But also there's a book by John Scalzi called uh, Red Shirts, which is basically the entire, the, it's on, it's not on, it's not like in the Star Trek universe, but it's like the perspective of the ensigns that are basically red shirts in the Star Trek like, like universe. Um, I read it a couple years ago and to be honest, like the premise is a lot better than the actual story and writing, like something about the, something about the writing just did not mesh well with me. It felt a little too simplistic. Like there's like no character descriptions, there's no backstory or anything. And like, it just didn't, it, it, it was kind of written kind of boring in a boring fashion. Um, which is a shame because John Scalzi has a lot of, of well-regarded works and everything. And it's kind of made me not, not want to seek out his stuff because I was so disappointed with red shirts. But in terms of story, the, the way that the story goes in red shirts toward the end is really, really good. Um, so I would still recommend checking it out if you're a fan of this episode. And obviously I'll always recommend checking out galaxy, galaxy quest because it's fantastic. So anyway, so they're on the, they're on the other, they're on the planet and they're, um, they're working on, uh, they're, they're kind of going after the, the bad guy. And what I love about this is that, um, Nanette, Kristen Milioti is, she's, her reactions to it's so great. Like she's, cause she is not, she's not a fan of this type of show or anything, presumably, but she's just like, she's just like kind of rolling her eyes at everything that, that daily does. And it's, it's really, it's really funny. Cause it's, you've got her doing that. And then the other members of the crew, like kind of looking at her, like, just go along with it, just go along with it. Um, which has a little bit of subtext of, of kind of creepiness to it. Cause they're doing that because this guy is unstable and, and they need to kind of do his, do his, uh, uh, do things his way. But then we get the introduction of him pausing the game. Um, which is very cool, like uh, very cool and very funny. Cause like you hear the beep of the, of the doorbell. And then he says, like he breaks character and says, hang on, I think my pizza's here. And then he, he exits the game or he pauses the game to get his pizza. Like, I just, I love that. That just felt like, um, such an authentic kind of gamer thing, I guess. Um, and then also kind of when he comes back to the game, you just, <laughs> You have Jimmy Simpson just saying like, "Oh, here it goes. Here we go. Here comes Captain Dick." It's just like, I'd, ah, his his performance is fantastic. Um, anyway, so at, like that whole skirmish like resolves itself, and then the guy I can't remember the guy's name in the in the actual uh, office, but the the villain guy in the game, he is in character asking Daly to kill him, and like that is so sad and and. Uh, there, there's some, there's some, uh, sad kind of poignancy to it. Like, cause he's, he's in, he's still in character. Cause he, you know, you can presume that he thinks that that's how Daly's going to, he's going to get what he needs. And, and what he needs is to just be erased from existence. Cause he's lived such a long time in this game at this guy's will. And, Ah, like there's a moment where you kind of think that Daly might do it, but then he just says no because it's against Space Fleet's um, orders and everything. But it's just such a downer because I don't know. It's just the fact that this guy is just wanting him to be killed to to kill him is just really really dark. Um, yeah, and then 
when we have the celebration scene and then Nanette realizes that he's going to try to kiss her. Um, I love, <laughs> I love this because he, she slaps him. And then while, like, while that scene is unfolding, the celebration is going in and Walton's like, uh, like, uh, for he's a jolly good fellow for he's a jolly good fellow. Uh, so say all of us. But then when she slaps him, he says, so says, Oh my fuck. Um, like I just, I love Jimmy Simpson's performance. I really do. Um, and this is what brings me to Daly's kind of personality in the episode is that the crazy thing about him is that he's not delusional enough to think that the crew of the Callister are his friends or that they're at all into the game. Like the crazy thing about Daly is that he knows that he's a dictator in this universe that he is in complete control of and is the creator of and it's playing into his godlike his god persona his his god complex and he he doesn't have this moral uh struggle with whether or not he should treat people like this like he is just complete out and out a villain in this game he doesn't view the crew as as having their own agency or having their own personality or like they're his they're um they're like non-playable characters that he's coded into the game and which is, is disturbing because I think deep down since he created infinity and he, he knows what the lengths that like he, the lengths of, uh, that it took to get them into the game, into his personal modded game. Like he knows that there's, there are more than just coded characters and everything, but he still does that. Like he still, he still behaves in that way. And, and treats them like he's a dictator. And it's just so disturbing. And it says a lot about Daly's character. And Jesse Plemons does such a great job of, of playing that, uh, playing that kind of evil godlike character, um, in contrast to the, uh, antisocial kind of, uh, quiet, um, creepy kind of character in the office. It's, it's just a really good balance that he struck with his performance there. Um, and then I just want to just mention this because this is one of my favorite lines. Um, when they're talking about after Daly leaves the game and the crew is talking about, you know, Space Fleet and, and, and the game and everything. And then they real, uh, Jimmy Simpson reveals that, uh, they're all like Ken dolls. Um, uh, they don't have like genitals. And like the line where he says, there are no genitals in Space Fleet. This is a wholesome universe. I just, I love that because again, this is a character, Walton is a character that's been trapped in this game and he's just resigned to his fate and his, his, um, his uh, coping mechanism is humor and he just, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And then the other line that doesn't, didn't really mesh well with me. And I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a script issue or if it's a Kristen Milioti thing, but like, like when she says like, what are you going to throw a fireball at me? And then when she says later after they show the the uh, blank space where their genitals should be, uh, she says, stealing my pussy is a red fucking line. Something about those two lines just didn't really mesh well with me. It felt like a little bit, it felt like a little bit too humorous at a time when it maybe shouldn't have been that humorous. Um, like it shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been played that much for comedy because I mean, it's disturbing as hell, but, um, something about it just didn't really mesh well with me. I can't really put my finger on it, but, um, but yeah, so then we get like, finally we get to this moment where they're, they're trying to get out. They're trying to get out. And at this point, like, I have no idea how they're going to be able to do that. Like this episode does a great job of setting up the scenario so well and setting it up to where he, where they're at a disadvantage as to how to, escape. There's no clear way to do it. And so their first attempt, uh, Nanette sending the message to herself, like that's a good idea and everything. And it feels so, um, so authentic that the real world, Nanette would go right to daily about it. Like that's, it just seems like just an obvious thing. Like you could see like, this is their only attempt that they can do uh, to get, to get message out to the real world. And of course, Nanette's going to send it to herself because she trusts herself and everything. But of course the real world, Nanette has no clue that any of this could possibly be happening. And I just, I just thought that that was a really interesting 
dynamic to reach for their first attempt out. And I love that the, I, even more importantly, I love the consequences of the message. So Daly goes back into the game early and then he's like yelling at them in talking about how like, oh, uh, Space Fleet is about this and this and this and you guys are just messing it up. And what I love about this is Nanette tries to appeal to the truth and like appeal to appeal to Daly's mental state, saying that he's saying that he's sick and that this is good. Like he's he's sick and he needs to get help. So but the, the kind of tragedy of that of that is that she's trying to appeal to a rational side of him that just flat out does not exist. Um, he even if he's not delusional to the extent where he where he thinks that they are his friends or anything, he's still not um he's not self-aware enough to to realize that he is actually he has some kind of mental illness or that he is otherwise sick. Um so so that obviously just causes a chain reaction where he where he changes Shayna into a monster. And like the special effects of her changing into a monster is really surprisingly good. Like it's just cheesy enough to work for the homage that they're going for, but it's, it's, they threw enough money at it that it, it seems like a genuine kind of transformation. And I I really like that. So even more at this point, I, I still like at this point that like, there's no idea. I have no idea how the hell they're going to get out of the, of the game. (laughs) Like that's like, this is a losing mission mission for them from my, from my perspective, like I have no idea what the end game is for this episode. And I love that. I love the episode for that reason, because it kept me on my toes the entire time. And then we get the introduction that the, that the patch for the game, uh, for the infinity game, uh, um, uh, materializes in the space, space fleet mod as a wormhole. And, Honestly, I think that this, this development is kind of freaking genius to me. Like, that's a really, that's a really clever way to bring us into the, uh, the last, like, act of the episode. Like, that's just really clever to have, um, the patch materialize itself as a wormhole. Like, the idea is that he has this space fleet mod on his computer that is essentially, like this infinity game is a worldwide like multimedia or multi um wow mmorpg i don't massive multi multiplayer online game and he he ha- like that exists but he has this kind of standalone mod on his computer that's just for space fleet like the uh, um a, a special thing that he made so the patch that's going out all across the entire infinity is going to materialize in some form on his mod because it's still somehow connected to the game or it's it's part of the game a little bit, but it's its own closed server, closed off thing. I just I just like that that's that that's how uh, the episode is going to resolve itself is to have them trans transport them into the game. Um, but yeah, so more on that later. But. Um, I like the idea of them blackmailing Nanette in the real world uh, Nanette. Um, that was a, that was an interesting wrinkle and it reminded me of a little bit of the elements of uh shut up and dance, but it still did enough in its own way to, uh, to kind of differentiate itself from it. Um, then we get, uh, Walton's backstory and the kind of payoff to the lollipop that we saw earlier in, in Daly's refrigerator and Jimmy Simpson's fantastic in this. Um, he describes how basically in order to keep him, to keep Walton in line, Daly copied, um, Walton's son and brought him into, into the game and made, made Walton watch, um, Daly throw Tommy out of an airlock. And, you know, you can, you can make the argument, um, at this point that, well, Walton should know that it's just a copy and it's not the real Tommy. And I kind of had that thought a little bit when I first watched it. But the more I thought about it is that if you view it from Walton's perspective, you can really understand his pain because even though Tommy is just a copy and Walton himself is also just a copy, 
Walton knows how human he feels. Like he knows that even though he's a copy, he has all of these memories. He is, he is, he is Walton, a, a fully realized iteration of Walton. And so Tommy has to feel that same way. And like he is, I mean, he's watching his kid go out of a freaking airlock and it's just so tragic and terrifying and, and disturbing. And then he, uh, Walton, when he's telling the story, is talking about how he gives props to Daly for being, uh, for having as much detail as he has. Like, that's just so disturbing. Um, and just in, you can tell like why that would break him. Like that's, that would absolutely break him. And, and Jimmy Simpson does a wonderful job of, of conveying that in his performance. Um, while also keeping his kind of fun, like, uh, defense mechanism persona going as well. Um, and then, so at this point, we're kind of flashing back and forth from the, from the game to the, to the real world. And there's something funny and there's, there's just something a little bit funny about how Daly being such an antisocial monster in the real world. Um, he, like, he is this antisocial person, but he has this tiny little, uh, Christmas tree on his desk at home, which I thought was a nice touch to the set design because, I mean, he's like, he's got no one. He's, he's an antisocial kind of, I mean, he's kind of a loser in the real, real world, but he still has this little type of, this little cheap thing to kind of show his festive side. Um, which I kind of, I kind of thought that that was kind of funny. Um, and so in the game, we have Nanette distracting him so that they can get the, um, they can get the, uh, device beamed onto the ship so that they can send a message or call the real world Nanette. And I kind of feel like at this point, like Nanette is trying to distract him by, by making him go for a swim in the, in the little pond that they find on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, planet. And I kind of feel like Daly should kind of recognize that Nanette is trying to distract him, especially considering that she's, she's just been entered into the game and she is, uh, um, she has not wanted to be a part of it at all. But then, um, on the other hand, he has such a massive ego and I mean, he obviously likes her, um, that it still tracks that he would, he would fall for her being, uh, distracting. And also, I mean, she's stripping down and going into the, going into the, uh, into the water with him. And there's gotta be a part of him that's, that's wanting to swim with, (laughs) swim with her regardless of whether or not she has genitals. But, um, then on the ship side of things, we have the crew looking through Nanette's cloud or her photos. And I love their reaction to it because they're just kind of not necessarily in awe, but they're just kind of like, they're very awkward and they're very quiet when they're going through the pictures. And what I love about that is, is that it makes sense because they have lived in this, in this world in this wholesome genitalless universe for presumably years, multiple, multiple years. And suddenly they're just suddenly looking at these erotic images. And I just, I just love that they don't know how to process that or they don't know how to react to that. So they're just sitting in, in silence looking through it. And I just, I, I love that. It's a, it's a great piece of comedy in this episode. And then Jimmy Simpson's phone call to Nanette in the real world is great. Like he, he's threatening her to, uh, send it to all of her friends and family. And then he just throws in there and Pornhub. I'm like, it's just such a fun, like energy that he brings to blackmailing this innocent woman to doing something illegal for him. And then, so now the ball is rolling. And then like, once we get the, once they get the DNA and everything, um, uh, they, they're going toward the wormhole and I love how the intern, which man, I can't remember his name, but the interns like, uh, he tells Nanette, he's like, e- you're supposed to say something cool, like engage thrusters or something. And then Nanette just doesn't care about it. So she's just like, just fucking go. And like, I love how not into space fleet she is. And her, her point of view is such, is in such stark contrast from theirs because they have been beaten down by this man for again, presumably years. And she's still like, she is the one person of the crew that is in it, like has been in it for a few days and she's just really trying to get out of it. So she is not acclimated to this. She hasn't submitted to this crazy godlike creature 
who's forcing them to do things. Like they've been beaten down, but she's, she's still kind of like fighting for it. And so I just, I just love how that, that kind of comes into play where, where they, they're expecting her to say things that are in the game, but she doesn't care about it at all. Um, and part of the thing that, uh, with, with the real world and, Nanette taking the DNA and everything is that she switched out the little disc that he puts on his, uh, temple to enter the game. And when, um, when Daly goes back to his computer, he takes it and he tries to put it on and it doesn't work. But what, something that I love about that is, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but he takes it out and then he blows on it. And it just reminded me of like, like the old days of, uh, NES, the original Nintendo where you would blow on the games and, and try to get them to work. Like I remember doing that a lot. Um, I just, I just love that, that they incorporated that a little bit if it was intentional or not. Um, and then we get to the kind of climax of the episode, which has them kind of going through an asteroid field and being, uh, chased by Daly and the shuttle that he got off of the planet from or with. And okay. So the whole idea of them flying through an asteroid field is thrilling and everything. And, and in terms of, uh, visual effects, it looks really good. Um, like I said, they kind of threw a lot of money at this episode, but the thing that kind of, uh, I couldn't help but think was that it seems like kind of, uh, uh, let's see. It seems kind of like a cliche of that type of story and that type of show. Like Space Fleet is like the, is like Star Trek. And it's, it kind of seems like that's the type of kind of cliche thing that they're going for, which makes sense. Um, I'm not complaining about it for that reason. Like it, it just seemed like, oh yeah, they, obviously they're going to have to go through an asteroid field just to get, get to safety. But I, I don't know if that was intentional. Like they're just like, okay, well we need to do something that's kind of cliched and, and go from there. Um, but it worked nonetheless. I thought it was fine and it was thrilling. And like I said, it visually, it looked really good. Um, and then one of my, one of my really only big, big complaints about the episode, and I wouldn't even say big, big complaint, but is that daily um <laughs> daily in the shuttle like when he's when he's yelling at the crew of the callister um it feels like that it feels like he veers a little bit too far into the over the top villain category um which i could see it being kind of um intentional that they would make since daily is kind of transformed into the absolute villain of it and they're kind of going through this whole space fleet star trek type of cliched kind of thing that maybe they were just trying to go for him being this kind of cliched villain but just the way that he taught like it seems like he's i don't know i maybe i'm nitpicking but it's just seems like he's he's describing the things that he's going to do to them as being like biblical and like he's he's going to just un uh show his wrath and everything but the way that he's describing it just seems like he's making it up as, his, as he goes along, which maybe that's the intention of it. Cause that's him. It's this godlike person losing control of the thing that he has always been in control of. So maybe that's why he has this kind of stumbled like thing. Like he, I don't even remember what he says. He's going to rip their, rip their organs out and make them watch while they're still alive. But the way that he does it, like the cadence that he uses is a little like, like he's just trying really hard to, to, uh, come up with it. Um, which I mean, that's not necessarily an issue. It just seems like we're at the climax of the, of the episode and like, you know, he should be concentrating on trying to get to them or I don't know. It just seems, I don't know. It just seemed kind of like it didn't really work for me. Kind of like the, kind of like the line about, uh, him stealing her pussy and in the line about the fireball. It just, it just didn't really work for me that well. Um, but then, like, I like that it didn't end with the asteroid field because the ship kind of loses control and Walton has to go into the engines to fix it. And I liked that wrinkle to it because because his uh, the character of Walton has such a clearly defined arc in the in the episode. And I love the scene with him and Daly where he is he's basically telling him as he's fixing the engine, he's saying, like, you were the genius of it and I exploited your genius and treated you like the golden golden goose and I got fat off the profits and everything. And, um, he's like apologizing to him for the way that he treated him. And then, um, 
<laughs> and then he's like, I was thinking, I, I was thinking I should say all that, but then you threw my son out of an airlock, so fuck you to death. And then he gets the engines working and then, uh, and then like that's what, uh, that's what gets them to escape. And I, I love that because I, I just love Jimmy Simpson in this episode. Um, but I guess this is a good time to bring up that, uh, Jimmy Simpson actually has this theory about his character that's kind of tragic in it because once they go through the wormhole and everything, uh, Walton is not in the new iteration. Like he's not on the, on the bridge when they're all, um, at the end of the episode and his, um, his theory that I haven't seen, I I don't know if Charlie Brooker has, has corroborated it or anything, but his theory is that Walton's sacrifice to fix the engine means that he is just forever like in in, uh, his since no one can die on the ship without uh daily's authorization or anything walton is now trapped in the engine burning for all eternity um as a sacrifice to to uh get the crew out of the out of out of daily's wrath and everything um so just the thought of this this lone person in in the engine being just just burning up for all eternity without being able to die that's like that's really disturbing and i kind of i'm going to kind of subscribe to that to that theory cuz that brings an interesting wrinkle to the episode into the tone of the episode but to actually go back to them actually going through the wormhole and everything i love that the as they're doing it, the crew all like they lock hands. It's, it's a nice touch because they've come a long way and they've obviously like, this is their moment where they're either going to, uh, they're likely going to die. Like the whole plan was for them to, to be erased from all existence. But then now they're just being transported into infinity, the game. And I love that the aesthetic of the bridge changes because it just wipes out the, um, space fleet mod. And I love that it becomes this kind of Star Trek, uh, J.J. Abrams Star Trek kind of aesthetic. Like there's a lot of lens flares and the camera moves around similar to how, uh, the camera moved in the J.J. Abrams movies. And I, I just, I thought that was a nice touch. And as far as Daly's concerned, his end is a perfect Black Mirror ending. Um, this rogue universe is, uh, that he has existed in the Space Fleet mod. Um, the rogue universe deletes itself and traps daily in the game and it first of all it makes me wonder like uh i i thought a lot about it like he's trapped in, like that's such a disturbing thing that he is trapped in just complete darkness and and nothing and he's it made me wonder like how how long he would be left in there uh, left there in his apartment because theoretically like someone could find him and then rescue him or what have you but he is such an antisocial person that who's going to come to to his house like who's going to come to his apartment and try to save him um definitely not the pizza delivery guy cuz he didn't get his 30 bucks but um and then going back to when the when um Nanette was talking to Shayna in the office like Shayna actually says like it's christmas eve they're going to go she's going to go home and they have 10 days till they have to go back to work so yeah, Daly's dead. Um, he's, cause there's 10 days before any, any of the people that he interacts with on a daily basis will notice that he's not there, that he's not, that he's nowhere, um, that he doesn't come into work. And then you think like, okay, well, a day or two after that is when they would probably call the police or try to contact him. And then a few days after that, they'll probably is when they'll get a, get someone there to, to check on them. Um, even that they don't really care about daily that much. So maybe add an extra few days to, to that timeline. And it's 10 days from, from when he's trapped in the game, he's going to die of starvation and, and, and dehydration and everything within that time frame. around the time that they, that before around the time that anyone even recognizes that they would be that he's missing or anything. And of course there's also the idea of like, Oh, family, you know, might call him on Christmas or something, but there's nothing in the episode to indicate that, but it's just, it's, that's just such a bleak ending for that character. It's, it's really fascinating to me. And, and, uh, I, I love that ending, uh, for the character. Um, so then we get kind of get the denouement of the episode with the crew in, 
infinity, which this is such a great concept. Like this is what the director or this is what the, this is what the director was talking about when he spoke to, I think it was to EW saying that, um, saying that this is a great pilot for, uh, for a series because this entire, like, this is a perfect, like you could show me this as a pilot for a new ser- series of television. I would be all about it because it's such a great concept of these people that have been, um, copied into this game and they're only like they go through hell to get through to get uh to get away from this this horrifying godlike person and in doing that they are transported into this worldwide MMO game that has thousands of millions even of players and it's just this all just this this open universe that they have to them and like that idea, just as a, that, that idea itself as the jumping off point for a series, like there are endless possibilities of stories that they could, they could have, um, going forward. And it's just, it's just a cool concept for its own standalone series. Um, but I love that their first, um, their first experience with another, with another player in the game is Aaron Paul his character uh voicing it and like it's just a common like online multiplayer kind of thing like he's a complete a complete ass um and then threatens to blow them out of the sky so then they they leave um i just i love that because first of all um i love the nan- that nanette is the new captain of the ship and she does not care about the idea of it like she's like like one of the one of the crew calls her captain and then she's like no just just say nanette it's fine and then they're like where should we go and then she's just like stick us in hyper warp and let's fuck off somewhere like she doesn't like she <laughs> she has just this demeanor to her that i would i would see a series where she is the captain of this of this of this ship in going on adventures and this kind of like I don't really care kind of kind of uh persona. And then it ends with Aaron Paul's voice just saying like I'm the king of space and then he's just like king of space. It's just like it's such a great like kind of uh <laughs> poking fun at like online multiplayer that like people are people are so uh so big into um putting putting this fake persona out and like being like very much uh like kind of macho people when they're when they're talking online and then it's just this like subtle like sadness to them that it's like they're just they're just in a game it's not it's not anything big um and i and i love that about it about the ending and that'll do it for my review. I actually, I will say that I was so enamored with this episode and I enjoyed this episode so much that I actually did order a, uh, Space Fleet shirt from T Public, uh, which if you go to, um, the Obsessive Viewer T Public store, which, uh, you can find at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Um, and also I'm sure at anthologypod.com slash donate. I'll make sure that I put a link there. But if you go to the store, you can find Black Mirror and Twilight Zone shirts and stuff. And then any shirt that you buy from that store will, I'll get a little piece of the commission. So check that out. And I'm really excited for it because it basically says Star or Space Fleet and then it has the Space Fleet logo. Um, and just, I'm really excited about that. So that will do it for my first, uh, bonus episode for, uh, Black Mirror season four. And so next time on the podcast, on the main feed, it should be in a day or so. I'll be reviewing dust, uh, from season two of the twilight zone. And my bonus review will be an episode of playhouse 90 that, uh, that Rod Serling wrote called, uh, uh, a town has turned to dust and, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. And then, as far as my next bonus review, um, I'm going to be pumping these out pretty quickly. I'm going to try to at least. So my next one is actually going to be Archangel, which is season, which is episode two of season four of Black Mirror. And then what I'm hoping to do, and I really hope I can, I can pull this off, but what I'm hoping to do is this is the first one. I'm going to post this up first and then I'm going to have dust come out next. And then in between dust and the next episode of, of the main anthology, I want to have two more 
Black Mirror episodes post. So you're going to be seeing a lot of content coming out on the feed in the coming weeks. And the reason for that is that I want to make sure that I get through Black Mirror as quickly as possible because next week, um, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams is coming out on Amazon Prime. And I want to make sure that I, I review those in a timely fashion as well. So, um, be on the lookout for a lot of content coming out, hopefully, fingers crossed. And yeah, and if you like what you've heard, once again, make sure to check out uh, my other podcasts over at obsessiveviewer.com and in particular at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. And if you want to help support the show, again, the easiest way to do that would be by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. And you can also donate to the podcast through PayPal by clicking the donate button over at anthologypod.com or by visiting patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Now, if you become a patron on patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, you will actually get access to a special RSS feed that has that uh, is is specifically for film commentary tracks that I'll be recording at random intervals and posting specifically for Patreon subscribers. So as of right now, we uh, I posted a commentary track for Jingle All the Way, um, and uh, yeah, so check that out. It's a minimum minimum uh, of one dollar a month, and you'll get access to that and. Um, my undying gratitude as well. So that'll do it for this special bonus episode of Anthology, and I hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any comments about the show or about Black Mirror, or you want to share your thoughts on any episode of Black Mirror this season, shoot me an email, and I'll incorporate it into my reviews going forward. It's matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And yeah, uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For more of Anthology and a full archive of my episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on AnthologyPod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and just choose one of the Anthology reward tiers. If you enjoy Anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com. And for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at obsessiveviewer, send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.